What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. I'm Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Wendy Ying from Sarasota, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for May 2nd, 2019, episode 2173. This episode is brought to you by the American Driving Society. Good morning, horse world. Today's show, we chat with Simon Mulholland from Pony Axis about his all-terrain carriages. Kathleen Hack covers wheels on Carriages 101. Kitty Cadwell helps us get ready for a pleasure driving show. And on the TCVM segment, Elaine Lockhead from Thin Line Global gives us some great solutions for laminitic horses. Well, hello, Wendy. It's good to be back on the Driving Radio Show. Wendy is here the first Thursday of every month talking driving. And Hi, Glenn. I, I missed you. I know. I met some of your friends uh, or some fans, actually, while we were at uh, Land Rovers. There were some people there who were talking about listening to the driving show. So that was cool. Oh, great. Thanks for listening, guys. So hello to all of them. And we have a packed show for you today. But I also wanted to mention that we're recording this on Tuesday. We always record these a little bit ahead of time because Wendy actually has a job. And has to work on Thursday mornings. You know, that whole <laughs> veterinary thing. Um, yeah, she has to go visit people and actually try and help help animals. Um, <laughs> but you came up, there was on Facebook, you know, how you have the whole, uh, you became friends at this date thing. And oh, yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Ours was eight years on Facebook. I know, but we've known each other much longer than that. Well, and we've been kind of giving the origin stories, and the way Wendy and I met is Jennifer wanted to get me a present. And this was before WEG, yep. probably 2009. Uh, she wanted to get me a present, and she called around. It was around Easter time, and she wanted to have me drive a four-in-hand because I'd never done that. And I had been out of horses for a while. We lived in Kentucky. We had just come from Massachusetts. She had a horse, but I did not. So I hadn't driven in a while, actually. And she wanted to just make sure I drove something. And, and I don't know if the foreign hand was part of the original plan. And she called around and called around and called around. And we ended up coming out to your place. That's yeah, you did. I had no when idea. We were at Gala. Yeah. We were at Gala Horse Center. Which wasn't far from where we lived in Lexington. And I had no idea where we were going. She didn't tell me. And we show up, and it turns out to be a foreign hand of Hackney's. So, it was- well, what happened was we were. T- I was talking to Jen about it, and then she told me that you had this Hackney pony, and we were going to go out with the with the horse team, but. Since you were a pony person, we said, why don't we take the Hackney ponies? Because Sterling had some Hackney ponies. And we um, put them together. Well, we all went out. Yeah, we went out. And I drove my first four. I didn't wreck. Well, not I didn't. I got close to wrecking. But I no, didn't wreck. You, didn't, you did not get close to wrecking. <laughs> you didn't get close at all. And what happened was we got in the car after. And Wendy, you sat in the back of the carriage. And, and yeah. we ended up chatting and chatting and chatting. And then on the way home, I said, Wendy needs to have a show on the network. We need to do a driving <laughs> show, and Wendy needs to co-host it. And that was after meeting you one time. Uh, Were you like, 
that Chinese girl in the back would not shut up. What was going on? I was trying to enjoy nature. But we got along instantly. And uh, we got along instantly. And she was a cute Chinese girl. So, I mean, what can I say? But um, I think I called you right after that. Didn't I? You know I? what was funny about that? Yeah. Because, okay, this is what happened, too. This is all thanks to Mike Arnold. Because you called Mike. Oh, that's right. That's how up. she got the... That's how she got through to you guys. was on Easter Sunday. That's right. And nobody would take you on no, Easter Sunday. No. So they called me because they're like, Well, they needed the least religious like, yeah, person possible. Them. And they went to Wendy. Right. right. <laughs> and so, um, so that's how we, that Mike Arnold got, introduced us. But then after that, you called me to be on the Horses in the Morning because, or it was the WEG show. I can't remember. It was a live one. And when you were Googling me before the show, you realized I was a vet because you didn't know that at the I time. I didn't know. I just thought you were a driver. I didn't know about the vet part. Yeah. And then I was super nervous about going live anyways because, you know, I always say this. I'm kind of shy about public speaking. No one ever believes me because once I get going, I'm okay. But, like, I'm nervous about it beforehand. And you put me totally on the spot because I thought we were going to talk about forehand and you just wanted to talk about the vet stuff, which was fine, but well, then and you, and then I told you later that that was actually your audition. And you yes, didn't know and it. I had to do a <laughs> um, a, a five elements uh, reading for Helena, who was having a toxic relationship with her horse. Yep, that's right, that's right. And then that was it. <laughs> we were off and running. We started the driving radio show and been together ever since. Yeah, but that's how we met. That was the origin story of how Wendy became part of the Horse Radio Network. And then we moved to Florida. And then, you know, uh, along the way there, in about 10 minutes, we became best friends. I mean, that was the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> so That's uh, why you had to move to Florida. That's right. We had to be nearer to Wendy. And we do get to see you more it. often now. That's that's always a good yeah. thing. This summer, I'll probably see you more because you'll and, come and, down. To and we're going to be bringing uh, Finding Florida to Sarasota, I think, in June. I contacted them, and we're trying to work out the details. So hopefully oh, in June, we'll be back and and uh, doing things in, in Sarasota and visiting you guys. Well, now it's time for our product feature of the month with Dr. Wendy Ying. What you got? Well, I have an herbal formula for laminitis that we call Hot Hoof. And <laughs> it's a good name. It's called Hot yeah, it's called hot hoof because in Chinese medicine, laminitis is heat and stagnation. So that translates to uh, Western medicine. Heat is inflammation and uh, stagnation is pain. So, so that's how we describe laminitis. So what we need to do is we need to get rid of the heat. And we get, have to get rid of the stagnation. So to do that, we need to help with the inflammation, cool down the feet, and we need to increase the circulation in the feet. Because with laminitis, there are two things that can happen. The blood can get stagnant and stuck in the capillaries of the hoof, causing the pain, or the capillaries can close off and then not bring blood to the hoof. So we need to increase the circulation to get the old stagnant blood out and to bring fresh oxygenated blood in to save the lamina. And hot hoof is a great herbal way to uh, accomplish those goals. And also we can use that as part of founder prevention. So you know, I know that pony people like you, Glenn, when springtime comes around, you start to get nervous because if your pony gets that muscle off and he's out all day eating grass, 
you worry that he's going to have a laminitic episode or anytime you're in a situation where you have something that might trigger laminitis, you can give this hot hoof formula as a sort of prevention to help uh, reduce the the chances of them getting laminitis. So this is something you would use on a regular basis then rather than just as a one-off? Well, it's not a supplement. It's not a supplement, but you can use it when you, when you have laminitis, it, it's like a chronic thing. Like this is something that you're always going to deal with. It's so funny you said that because when we got home from a week away, the first thing Jennifer did was feel uh, Scooter's feet. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And she said, they're nice and cool. Yay. (laughs) Well, and that's another thing like that. Jennifer is very good at managing the pony, but then you go away and you don't know. That's what she was worried about. Yeah. Right. So this would be a great thing to put him on this kind of herb when you're away. And then you hope your horse sitter doesn't, Overfeed Give him. Give him too many cookies. <laughs> so what's in but, this? What kind of like herbs do you use for that? Uh, well, the two herbs that we use for inflammation is yin chen, which is an artemisia. It's a strain of artemisia. And um, the other one is da huang, which I love this herb because I this is the only one that I can remember in Chinese. It's big yellow. And that's rhubarb root. And that oh. helps with the inflammation, but it also helps uh, regulate your blood sugar. Um, and then there are herbs to relieve pain. And these are some herbs that we've talked about in the past. Mo Ya, which is myrrh resin. Remember the three wise men oh, brought yeah. the myrrh? Gold, frankincense, so and myrrh. Could, right. So myrrh is and a... Myrrh um, was the one nobody ever knew what it was. Right. And actually, <laughs> the Chinese translation of Mo Ya is hidden medicine. Oh. And it's because it's the resin of the plant. The plant is just this like spiky weed. It looks like a tumbleweed. But then the gummy resin, when you dry it, you can use it as a medicine topically to relieve pain and swelling, or you can use it internally like we do in this case. And that's why they were bringing it. It was a medicine. It was medicine, yeah. And then honghua, which is the safflower. And we use the, well, many of the herbs that we use, we use the roots. In this case, the safflower, we use the flower part um, in this medicine, and it uh, increases circulation. Very cool. Yep. And so, and this is really important. Okay, laminitis is serious. It can kill your horse. So it's great to listen to the Chinese medicine segment about laminitis, but if you have any laminitic episode with your horse, you need to see your vet immediately. And then your vet will help you get through the acute phase and then plan out your chronic uh, care phase. Very good. And what, where, and what's the product called and where can they find it? It's called Hot Hoof and you can find it on drwendying.com. Kathleen is here from the CAA, Carriage Association of America, and I got to hang out with Kathleen. We had a little get-together for dinner the one night last week when I was in Kentucky, didn't we? We did. It was great to see you. It was fun to do that, talk a little podcasting with other people. That was kind of fun. And then I got to see Kathleen showed up at our meetup uh, at at jump number one all the way to hell at the other end of the horse park uh, for cross-country day. (laughs) It was I don't know why Jamie makes us walk all the way out there to meet. <laughs> you should be at the end. It should be in the middle, the right end. by the stands. <laughs> the, the head of the lake is the place to be. Yeah, that'd so. be perfect. Yes. <laughs> but no, yes. we have to meet it out at number one. And then every year she comes out and says, I forget how far this is. I don't know why I do this every year. It's like, oh. <laughs> anyway, Kathleen, it was good to see you. We're talking about wheels today, right? 
We are. And as I understand it, you're talking about laminitis um, with some other people. Yeah. And wheels are kind of the same situation. We always say no hoof, no horse, no wheels, no carriage. So um, you have to have the wheels going to uh, be able to ride in a carriage, of course. And and they're just as complex in their own way as a um, hoof. Uh, you do need to be an expert uh, at making wheels before you attempt one, uh, or should be, just as soon as you should be a uh, expert farrier to be able to do some of the things that we need to do with hoof care. So, have I you know, like uh, the wheels? I think. Um, of all the parts of the carriage, the wheels, of course, are the most important because if you don't have your wheels, you're going to crash. But it's always difficult to find somebody to repair the wheels. It is, and, and it doesn't get any easier. Uh, many of the people that work on wheels have to go through an apprenticeship. Uh, in most cases, that's about four years, and then they sometimes go on to be journeymen and uh, farther on and on. Uh, it, it's not something that you learn in a day. While I was doing some research, I came upon a man that was, he had bought some hickory because he needed to make two pieces of a wheel. And he thought he would just do that. And 18 tries later, he finally got it right. <laughs> um, and so it is one of those things where you, you do have to know what you're doing. There's a lot of geometry involved. Making uh, things round is hard. It is. <laughs> one hard. hates math. I do. That one, I would, you know what my wheel would look like, right? <laughs> yeah. you do a sled it'd be bumpy <laughs> Let's well, that and that's why sledges were, were the thing for a long time until we got those the wheels going it's so much simpler to have just a sledge or, or a sled um, before we get going too far though I did want to talk about the four main pieces of a wheel so that we're all on the same um, vocabulary so the outside of the wheel is of course the tire and essentially what we're talking about, uh, the rim kind of area, the usually is like on a, well, on a wooden wheel, it's wooden. Um, on a metal wheel, is that it's about two inches wide usually. That is called the fellow. And then most of us know what a spoke and a hub are. So those are the four main pieces of a wheel. So the tire hooks to the fellow? Yes. Okay. Yes. Why do they call it the fellow? Did you find out that? Because the la- did they didn't However, want to insult ladies, so they insulted yeah. men instead. Uh, <laughs> well, and it is spelled differently. It's F E L L O E. So, yeah, um, I don't actually know why it's why it's called the fellow, but I did learn a lot about them <laughs> in the course of of trying to condense all this knowledge that you need in four years to to. It's like trying to condense college down into a 10-minute conversation. Uh, so the the elevator pitch of, of wheels is that um, there is a wheel for every surface and everything that you do. <laughs> and uh, just as we have trouble finding people to fix them today, um, you did back in the ancient times as well. But they didn't have quite as many wheel choices as we have now. Now we have hard rubber tires, pneumatic tires, um, which are air filled. And then of course we have all the different options as to what the fellow and the spokes are. They can be metal, they can be wooden, etc. cetera. Um, Wendy, do you have any idea what, what we typically 
make the fellows out of? What type of wood? Mm, I have no idea. So this is one of those things where we get into the environment. Um, in the United States, we tend to use hickory, which is lighter than the wood that they have in uh, Europe. And that's why we exported so many wheels during the 18th, 17th, 18th century, mm -hmm. uh, because we had better wheels. But that's oh. where we took out our forest. Because, like, for instance, in Michigan, we took out almost 82% of the forest at one point, And a lot of that went to carriage making. And uh, so... It was the aluminum, the aluminum wheel of the day. It was, and we still use hickory. It's uh, for its size. It's the best that you can get. Uh, it'll take a little bit of a, like if you hit a rock or whatever, you mm -hmm. know, as you're going down the road, it'll take that beating the best, um, oh. which is something that you we don't think about on a given day. But uh, if you're if you're a wheelwright. This is something that is very concerning to you is what type of wood you use. So the regard, whether you use rubber on the outside or have pneumatic, which are the air fill tires, if you have a wooden wheel, the inside or the, the fellow is probably either ash or hickory. The spoke is usually oak and the uh, hub, which is the middle part is um, elm. And we're also a little bit losing the American elm, but they have the best twisted grain structure that doesn't split easily. So mm -hmm. that was something else. And in, in addition to geometry, you needed to know all this about woods. That's so amazing. Like think about all the uh, trial and error that went into that. Yes. And that's where, again, why we exported so many of them at one point in time, because we just had better wood. It would hold up to um, the the roads, but not be uh, as heavy. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we just had the auction at Martin's. We had yeah. some French vehicles go through. We had some English vehicles go through. And when you start looking at those wheels compared to an American wheel, you can you can see it. Um you have to remember that they didn't even put cobblestones down in Paris until the 12th century. And so they had to go through some serious mud and those wheels reflect it. So like they don't look as in good a shape as the, they're American. heavier wheel. Yeah. So, so if you, Oh, so you're so, saying when you look at the European vehicles, the wheels should look heavier. Yes. They're usually a little bit more substance to them uh -huh. and physically they're heavier which yeah. is why the coaches are heavier. Uh -huh. And that's why we used to send um, American coaches over because they were lighter. Mm -hmm. That makes um, sense. So if you, we all know how we measure horses, right? In hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so our hand is roughly how many inches wide? Four. Four. Glenn knows Good that answer. Good job. Look Glenn. at me answering yes, that question. I'm proud of you. Two Woo. points. So if you take your hand... And you, you fold your thumb under. It could be either your left or your right. That's roughly four inches wide, right? Mm-hmm. So that's roughly the size of a wheel that's going through a lot of mud. These are the wheels that made America. These are the ones that were on the wagons that went west. They're the ones that are on the uh, logging wagons. That's the width of a wheel. Mm -hmm. They're four or five inches wide. Hey, I just measured my that. hand just to see, and it's exactly yeah. four. 
I know. Isn't that an amazing thing? <laughs> so does look, Wendy's little tiny hands four too? They're pretty. They're pretty okay. consistent. Yeah. <laughs> so Wendy, have you measured your hand? No, I haven't measured my hand. Oh well, we'll have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so if you fold your pinky under, so now you have three fingers, right? Yeah. We're roughly three inches wide. Yeah. Those are the wheels of the transportation wheel uh, vehicles that we used to use. Um, those are the vehicles that took you to the hotel that you went out with on a Sunday drive that took you around town. That's mm-hmm. the width of those wheels. When you get down to, and it's not exa- always exact, everybody made a w- little bit different wheel, but when you start talking about two and three inches, that's when you're talking about the marathon vehicles of today. They're not that, they're maybe two, three inches wide. Yeah. Um, in the um, vehicles that we have uh, for traditional pleasure driving, they're typically about that two, three inch wide. But the really fun ones, if you go to a museum and you spe- see a uh, speed wagon or a vehicle that was used with a standard bread to race on the track, mm-hmm. put your finger next to that wheel. It's going to be the width of your finger. Hmm. They That's are true. so narrow. But the, they're it's tiny. the way they're designed. Yes. And it looks like if you hit one bump, you're going to just break into a million splinters. Right. And it's because they the way that they designed them was so that the spokes would take the weight and be and they're only going straight. Um, and it, it was they were just amazingly delicate wheels, but they're not that different from the wheels that they used on, let's say, the Silk Road back in, you know, mm-hmm. Marco Polo time. Right. They're not they, they still all have the same things in common, which is a really amazing thing. Doesn't it? Isn't it amazing that back in that time, three, four hundred years ago, they could figure out how to make round wheels and make them round? They, <laughs> I mean, seriously, they did. Yeah, they, and they figured out, um, particularly when you talk about like the Greeks and the Romans, and and even in China and things like that, they figured out how to make a good wheel, and they figured out how to make a good road, and then we lost that for a while. And we just kind of stagnated. That whole and Middle then, Ages thing, kind of. Yeah, yeah, and then it wasn't really. <laughs> we get into the 18th century when we started Says putting the that reenactor. Wire, yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Renaissance King. Yeah, it's the same time period where we were throwing our uh, wastewater and our poop into the streets. So yeah. there's that. Yeah. I did think about you because they had list on the on the lake uh, this past weekend. Where they throwing the poop big, in the streets. Uh, well, I, I hope not, but they have the, uh, that's that big um, jousting event down in Texas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, someday you're going to have to go. I, want, I, I do want to do that sometime. That'd be fun. Yeah. We almost but, had Wendy convinced when they had that show about jousting, when they had that jousting reality show on TV a couple years back, we almost had her convinced to try out. I was, yeah. I, I, oh, tried you did try out. That's right. Me. They didn't take you. That's right. If only they had known. They took Jimmy's son. Remember? Yeah, they took Jimmy. Jimmy, uh, uh, Claire Claw. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He was cooler <laughs> than me. They don't need an old lady. They want some young show jumper. They want some hunk. Yep. Yeah. I was pissed. <laughs> she was mad about that. But <laughs> <laughs> so they're so, really, anyway. so, you know, other than materials, you know, being yes. a little different, they're not a lot has changed. There really hasn't. 
in the last, I, I double checked with um, several different people coming into this, including uh, driving essentials. And really, what makes a wheel good hasn't changed in the last 20, 30 years, particularly in, in driving. They changed how things look. So the marathon wheels, they now have, you know, the, the little bit of a pizzazz feature to them uh, so that they look really cool. But it doesn't change the structure of them. And, no, it's like uh, putting fancy rims on your car. It doesn't change it the really structure is. of it, right? Yeah. Right. And they're powder coated the same way. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and really, you can get into making them really, really look cool. But uh, And we saw that going up into the... World Equestrian Games in 2010. I didn't see it quite as much this year, but uh, or last year. But uh, there's some some really cool wheels out there. Every once in a while, you'll see them. But, Very good. Uh, yes. So I can I can regale you with lots of other information about wheels. Should you want to know, or if somebody has questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but I I will just say that if you're going to choose a wheel, make sure that you choose the one that's right for you. If in doubt, go with the hard rubber tires. They're pretty much good anywhere. Uh, marathon, you get into the pneumatic and stuff like that. But in general, a good wooden tire is is a pretty safe bet. Very good. Cool. Well, we're, and uh, is there a place people can find out more information on wheels? We will have some information on wheels at caaonline.com and on our Facebook page, which is Carriage Association of America. Thank you oh. very much. And I did want to yeah. tell you, May is National Carriage and Driving Month. Oh, I didn't so. know that. Oh, Yay! Oh, we will be celebrating. Has that been around since the 1800s? And... No, only 2008. Oh, okay. <laughs> Who got that through? Did you guys get that through? We did. You're the ones that got that through? Uh, our members did, yes. Yeah, well, that's cool. Yeah. Well, we'll have, to, we'll have to keep that in mind all month. I'll take my pony out for an extra spin. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Kathleen. You're welcome, Glenn. Thank you. Well, we held Kathleen over to kind of get a little bit of a report on Martin's auction this time, and I, I saw I saw that uh, a lot of vehicles were going as usual in the in the three to ten thousand dollar range. Do you know? I know you weren't there, but do you know what the high one was? The highest one was one hundred and ninety five thousand, and that was for a coach uh, that is, I believe, going back to Europe. It has a really interesting backstory on it, and it was used by Vanderbilt in France, and I believe he won a coaching contest with it. I'm double-checking that as we speak, but he um, it ha- it's quite famous in France, and so we're hoping that whoever has it— And he it brought it over here? It. He brought it across? He did. Yeah. He, regularly, he, he regularly brought horses and vehicles back and forth. Um, I know at one point he took 70-some standard breads over— um, and it, it was it was nothing for him to put vehicles or horses on a, a, a boat boat and, and send them across. And do you uh, know who 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 was selling it? Who had that vehicle? So they came from the New York Historical Society, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm not entirely sure why the New York Historical Society had decided to sell a lot of their vehicles. Um, I know that uh, several people have asked, and I don't have a definite answer to that but they sold several of their collection and uh decided to uh just pare it down but the Mm -hmm. um they had 
And that was unrestored, right? It sold for $195,000 unrestored. I was going to ask if it's restored. Yeah, no, it's original. And and that, in this particular case, is a benefit for it. Yeah. Uh, when in doubt, leave the vehicle alone. Uh, because it's, it, in this particular case, this had the original coach. This was called the Lightning. It's a male coach. Um, it was built for William G. Tiffany. He commissioned it in 1892 for a record-breaking drive from Paris to Troutville, France. And uh, he himself acquired the design for the 1835 pattern uh, from the General Post Office in London. And then it was built by Willen Glott uh, to, for him specifically. They made a 140-mile trip uh, in, in this vehicle. Um, and it, it was a very famous thing to, to do. And then in 1927, um, he brought it to uh, he brought it back to the United States. Um, so it, it has quite the history. And then there were several other carriages. I think they sold over 200 carriages uh, this past weekend. And I heard the prices were really good up there. They were. There was some very, very nice Brewster vehicles. Brewster uh, was a leading manufacturer at the time. And uh, those vehicles, there was uh, over a dozen of them. And they were going anywhere from five to, well, from five to 150,000. <laughs> so, well, there, there was quite a range, but uh, they, you know, they sold a um, Brewster Victoria uh, for five 5,000. Uh, there were several vehicles that were affordable, but were expensive. You know, I mean, that's just what they are for what they, yeah. the maker, you don't get much better uh, quality there. Do you uh, remember the Albany Cutter? You were talking about that one a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago. Um, they had a couple of those go for in the $1,000 range, some sleighs. They did. Yeah. They had an um, Albany Cutter from 1850 that went for 1.5K. Um, and as, wow. as we said, there were several there that, had really great providence because they came from the New York historical society. They knew what they were. Um, and they've probably only had one or two owners. So that's a collector's dream. And in most cases they were in either original condition or conserved condition. And Wendy, you missed it. You could have picked up a Sicilian donkey cart for 3,500. Glenn, you don't understand. I have, (laughs) since I've been going to, to Martin's auction, I have been trying to get one of those. Oh, really? And I want the ones with the Jesus heads all around the sides. (laughs) But they always go for too much. uh, 3500 for your uh, Sicilian donkey cart. You missed it. Do do you have a little donkey? No, No. I just want one of those carts. What always fascinates me is the hearses. Was there uh, there hearses? There were a few of them. Unfortunately, I don't know what the price range was on those. Um, but usually there's one or two that come through. Yeah, and usually uh, they're in the three to five, six thousand range. Uh, well, so the prices were back up a little then, is what we're saying. They were, yeah, uh, particularly when you get this type of collector's uh, market from the historical society. Well, yeah, they had sixteen. I'm reading here they had sixteen carriages from the right. and sold with the all right... the appointments, everything. Yeah, yeah, and and particularly the Providence, which is really important. Uh, that type of thing is, is really important for collectors. Most of these, well, I shouldn't say that. Some of them are staying here in the United States. Some of them are going back to Europe, uh, where they'll be well-loved. They're, they're, they're all going to collectors that we know of. So 
and they'll be preserved the way that they are and taken care of, which is which is a lovely thing. Charlie, I, Poppy, I know you're listening to this. Uh, you have to give us a report of what you bought. So let us know because we know he oh. bought. So he know we know he bought something. Oh yes, he did. He bought a he bought a, a tail light. Um, <laughs> and Barry, sure what Barry you, buy? Did, we know Barry bought it. something. <laughs> I don't know, but you know what went really high that nobody expected was you know Cape Whale nails. Are, are you familiar with those? No. Mm-hmm. So Capewell is a really famous um, manufacturer of horseshoe nails, okay. and they had a sample, uh, a, a salesman sample of all the nails that Capewell had made at that point in time, and that sold for a, a one thousand one hundred and fifty dollars or something like that for some nails. Oh my God. For, yes, but nobody has ever <laughs> seen one before. I I wanted it. Charlie wanted it. That we must all... have dated back a ways to get that kind of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That had to be Barry. Barry, tell us what you're going to do with the nails. We want to know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks, Kathleen. We appreciate you're it. You're welcome. Well, Simon Mulholland has designed a novel all-terrain carriage with wheelchair access, allowing people to enjoy the countryside, beach, and nature like never before. The Pony Access carriages go all over the countryside. So welcome, Simon. It's so great to have you here. Nice to be here. You know, I uh, came across your video on Facebook, and I was like, oh, my God, that is so cool. And I reached out to you um, because... Glenn has been talking. We live in Florida, and it's really sandy here. And Glenn is looking for a fat tire carriage. Um, But your carriage design is so unique. And also what you do with these um, uh, disabled people to be able to take them out is so wonderful. How did you get started with all this? Um, it's, It's an odd history. I started building carriages in 2000. My mother gave my, I'd only got two daughters then, gave them an American miniature horse, failed American miniature horse. (laughs) (laughs) He's too tall. (laughs) The tape measure read 41. So (laughs) it was not going to get into the show ring. And I just wanted a safe one-man pony-powered vehicle so that I could exercise the pony. Mm -hmm. And nobody was building one-man vehicles in the UK. Nobody has focused on safe vehicles, and I'm a coward. I looked at horses, and I thought, these are dangerous animals. I don't want to be associated with the risk. (laughs) And I've gone a very weird route and built fanatically safe vehicles. And the the essence of the system is that I can release the pony. I've got radio control release. I've got manual release. I've got automatic release. I've got every known way turn a horse-drawn vehicle into a piece of garden furniture. So you mean you're saying you, when you're sitting in the carriage, you can release the carriage from the pony? Instantly, yep. You know, my dad, who was an engineer, he always said that to me. He's like, why doesn't someone design this? So if the horse is running away, you just have it, you press a button and it lets go. So I you have don't get no killed. idea why you would need that. I've <laughs> never had a pony that bolts all the time. Uh, <laughs> Um, I was the the system was invented. I mean, it came into my head at two thousand and five, um, and I was flying through the air into a fence post, which was a <laughs> tie fence post. And as I hit it, I realised that I didn't need to hit fence posts. <laughs> it hurts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
And the thing was that I was driving a fairly goofy pony that hadn't been driven before in a vehicle that didn't fit it, in a harness that didn't fit it. Mm-hmm. And I sure this animal never went faster than a trot. Never, it was hard to persuade it to trot. And it had gone up to a canter really very fast indeed. And then just cut loose. And mm-hmm. I could have stepped off the back of the vehicle and been safe. But right. I didn't think the owner of the pony would pay me for the vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> so I stayed on the vehicle and got flipped into a fence post, as inevitably was going to happen. Yeah. But as I hit the post, I realized if I could have just stepped off and released the vehicle, I would have been unhurt and got the money. So right. that's why. <laughs> Well, and that's the way the horses get hurt. The worst is when the, because if you are riding and you fall off, the horses just usually stop and eat grass. But when the horses have no one in the carriage and the carriage is chasing them, they, that's when they inevitably get hurt. It's the, it's the carriage chasing them is just that absolutely. And I hate to see it. I mean, it's one of those things you can see them terrified. And I mean, I've driven, I mean, I've, I put a known bolting Clydesdale into the vehicle. I didn't particularly want to, but I was told I'd get paid some money I was owed if I did it. <laughs> but I put this animal in, and you could see it was going to bolt, and I let yeah. it get fast enough that it was clear to every single person around that this was bolting. And then yeah. I pulled the rib, and it, the minute it was out of the vehicle, it stopped. And I thought, right. you know, and that... If you're, if you choose to get into a vehicle attached to four horses and steer it around <laughs> with a couple of bits of string, that's, you know, that's your choice. <laughs> but if I've got somebody who uses a wheelchair, who is non-verbal, who maybe is vulnerable and can't make an informed decision, I need them to be safe. For right. people to go fun and do stupid things, that is. I'm absolutely in favor of that. It's great. Right. You know? Well, now right. what, it's a two-wheeled cart, so I now I know why there's a third wheel. There's a third wheel extending out the back, and that is if you do release, the cart doesn't tip over and dump the wheelchair and the person out the back. Exactly. Okay. And the thing about that is that everyone sees it as a two-wheel with a wheel at the back. If you look at it as a motorcycle sidecar going backwards pulled by a horse, then you understand the geometry. Okay, oh, yeah, I think that about that. <laughs> now, um, can we get back to the the release thing? How does the release work? Um, basically, it runs off an electromagnet. Mm-hmm. So that the, the, the reason I went electronic or electrical was because with a manual system, if anything broke in the system, the vehicle stayed attached to the pony. Yeah. But electrical system where you have to if there's no current flowing the pony's released it meant that oh i see i see or it is fail safe it's what boeing used to produce and no i didn't say that because <laughs> <laughs> but fail safe is the crunch and the thing is that because i'm working with vulnerable people i cannot take a risk for them and for their carers they don't want to be in the position of saying they'd love to go on the beach, but they might get injured. Yeah, they right. want to be able to say they'd love to go on the beach. Right. You know, that's, that's why I do it. So um, there's a battery pack on the pony's back, and then no, a back, back, it's all on the vehicle. The the harness, oh. the collar, and the saddle 
stay on the pony. Okay. Breaching comes off. And it's actually the whole thing is only pulled. There's two small bits of rope. Very mm. small. I mean, six, no, four mil, four millimeter rope. I, um, fifth of an inch thick rope. Yeah. And that pulls the whole thing around. God, that's I great. Think. What a great and, idea. And, and it's not even very strong rope. I mean, I've done it with um, baling twine. It, mm -hmm. it's, but I designed the harness from scratch, and the swingle tree is inside the collar. Um, the saddle is fully articulated in every direction. The breeching now is a sort of crossover. Crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I... I build harness the way it, it seems fun to me i don't do tradition yeah um, and um so so you tested it out a couple times was there any like did you have any disasters while you're testing it out i mean i've crashed um i drove an early version of the three-wheeler from exeter to london which is about 200 miles oh wow and I suppose I had 10, 12 crashes on the way. I was camping. I didn't have a route planned. I didn't have any money. Um, <laughs> and we got to what I thought was Hyde Park, and I'd driven across England, you know, got to Hyde Park. And I was pretty pleased with myself because driving through London in a head collar with a pony that doesn't really like London, I thought <laughs> <laughs> it was scary. <laughs> But we ended up in Kensington Palace Gardens where Obama got arrested for eating royal grass. <laughs> and seven police officers magically appeared to say he was eating royal grass. I think I made the wrong comment standing there saying at least he's not smoking it, officer. <laughs> and what did they say to that? Definitely <laughs> <laughs> frost in the air. They wanted to kick me back out onto the road. And I just refused. I mean, I... Well, initially I refused, and then I said, okay, I will go back on the road, but I'm going to walk my pony down the middle of the road mm. to Exeter, which is 200 miles away. Didn't, and I they, said, know the, didn't they know the Queen yeah. likes ponies? Uh, I yeah. mean. <laughs> the Queen made the police don't. But I, I'm slightly odd. None of the – I'm not part of the English horse organizations. Mm -hmm. No. You're no, an outsider. no English horse organization has spoken to me for 19 years. Well, welcome to America. <laughs> I would, I, you know, they don't like us either. Like, <laughs> if, if, if I upset someone in Texas, that everyone in Alabama will think I'm therefore good. And if I upset <laughs> you know, I mean... So everyone is going to have their likes and their dislikes, but you're not going to get together as a whole nation and say, we don't like this man. Oh, well, we can't agree yeah. on anything. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, <it's> like, <laughs> Simon, okay, so you understand us Americans so well. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you start going? Uh, how did you start getting involved in taking people out and about on the beach? That was in Devon. Um, I was working with a group, Westtown Farm, and a local school. They were working with school with people with disabilities. And they said, would you like to do it? And I thought, fine. You know, it sounds, sounds like fun. Mm -hmm. And I took a 
early version of the vehicle with three people in their wheelchairs and they'd never been on a beach before in their lives and it was just i thought wow this is something i can do um and so i was doing that for about eight years in england but nobody (laughs) the english don't like people in wheelchairs on their beaches Mm -hmm. when i went to Scotland, I'm allowed to do it, and everyone encourages me. In England, everyone was discouraging it, so I'm now a Scot. The accent is not very Scot. <laughs> you probably look great in a kilt, though. <laughs> <laughs> I draw the line at kilts, and the Scots have this crazy idea that sausages are square, and I believe you don't, <laughs> and sausages are round. So, you know, other than that, I'm Scottish. <laughs> Well, you know, I think we we don't we take that for granted. You know, we don't think about people in wheelchairs how they don't have access to the beach because you know their tires will sink into the sand; it's too hard to push. Or that you know, I saw some pictures of you going across a beautiful English countryside. You know, we take that for granted because not everyone has an all-terrain wheelchair or someone to help them get that way. And going here on the pony like this it like opens up a whole new world oh it does and the thing is i don't use ponies because they're nice or they're cuddly or anything like that i use them because they are the best engineering solution there isn't any petrol diesel electric motor that will beat a pony in terms of low speed propulsion across all terrain they just you know they are absolutely where it's at they're far and away the best and obama is a very cool pony as well okay well you have to tell us about obama um i got him in january 2009 Mm -hmm. and he was black and white i thought it was the least relevant thing about him and i thought (laughs) and what i find extraordinary is i cannot think of another politician who was functioning in January 2009, who I still respect. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Angela Merkel, possibly. But other than that, it was, it's pretty limited. No, I mean, I just thought he was a cool guy. I liked the pony. And Obama and I have now been together for 10 years. And oh, wow. I can't imagine working with... I can't imagine not working with him, but I'm training... Yeah a new pony at the moment. Um, And he's coming, he's a thug and he's five years old and he's goofy and he doesn't really listen to what I say, but (laughs) it's back when I let him go. And I was driving Obama this morning with, and I just put Obama into the vehicle. I was, I'd got Freddie on a lead rope set off and Freddie's sort of, trying to barge his way into the vehicle. I thought, right, you're ready to drive. (laughs) Do you think Obama knows that he has a really important job when he's taking these rides? He certainly is aware when it matters, he does exactly what I want. Mm -hmm. The rest of the time, he barges into me, bites me, wanders off, ignores me, you know. (laughs) Whatever happens Usual pony me. stuff. <laughs> real, real I have one too. <laughs> <laughs> They're great. I mean, they are just beautiful characters. But I took him up Dartmoor with a guy in his wheelchair in the snow. 
and it was pretty tricky. Um, and there was only one route up this tour that you could use. And so Obama was doing a very tough, very twisty route through the rocks, and he never put a foot wrong. And I don't consciously give him, I mean, nobody knows how I control him. I don't know how I control him. He just does what I think should be done. And it's basically, he can read my body language. And since he's so damn good at it, I let him do all the hard work and do the clever stuff. <laughs> so uh, now, Simon, do you sell these carriages commercially? I don't do anything commercially. I mean, if I was, (laughs) I would have done something very different 19 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually lived for eight years on an illegal traveler site in a derelict caravan to make this, (laughs) um, which is not, should we say, the best evidence of sound business. I mean, making a profit, I haven't heard about one of those things for years. Yeah. Um, I'm not a businessman. I a good inventor i'm a good pony trainer i don't do people if i can avoid them um <laughs> and i love inventing crazy vehicles but i am going to be selling the ibex it's getting a new name it's becoming the tricycle but spelled t-r-a-h as in the scots gaelic for beach and i will now be hammered by any scots listening to tell me that plans <laughs> um and we will be selling it because I've now got it. The, the safety systems are so automatic that right. you crash it. And that means it's now ready to sell. But I haven't worked out. I guess it's going to be eight to $10,000 is my guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but And that includes the harness because you have to use this harness with this carriage, right? Oh, it not only includes the harness, but there's two computers on board. Oh, um, right. Well, <laughs> you can't get the, the safety systems to work without the computers. And then I need a good sound system. Because if you haven't got loud music blasting out of your vehicle, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> and possibly this is going to sell really well in America, yeah. Simon. <laughs> you might have to take an American tour. <laughs> oh, I would love... I mean, to my mind, as a Mulholland drive pony I'd trained and a vehicle I built down Mulholland Drive would just be the elements. Okay, we're going to have to, we can make that happen for you. (laughs) (laughs) Where can people, do you have a website? Uh, Yes, it's Pony Access, spelt A-X-E-S. It's my idea of a joke. Nobody gets it. I got it. I got it when I saw it. I thought it was great. I thought it was a great idea. Um, but if you go on Twitter, I'm Pony Access. On Facebook, I tend to be Simon Mulholland. But if you Google Obama the Pony, you'll find you'll find me because I sort of tag along behind it. <laughs> this is very cool, and I have a good friend who who we see all the time here in Ocala, who's a para rider in a wheelchair. And uh, I can see her having a blast with this, especially with a ha- my hackney pony going down the beach at 90 miles an hour. She would love this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so. The other thing is that I'm just in the process. I've got another vehicle called the Bar M Chopper, and you need to know Bruce Springsteen's This Hard Land to know the reason for the name, which is a slam chariot. Oh, designed cool. huh. And as far as I can see, it's uncrashable. And I, I use it for chariot archery and 
hooning around in the snow. It's just pure fun. And at the moment, it's stunningly ugly. Um, <laughs> but I, I build things when I'm absolutely convinced I've got them right, then I'm prepared to let them start looking pretty. Um, well, Simon, but, you'll have to come back and talk to us about this stand-up chariot. I can't wait to see all your inventions. <laughs> it's fun. Thank you, Simon. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, as always, since we started the Driving Radio Show, we are sponsored by the American Driving Society, and it's their 45th anniversary. That's right. 45 years of being the uh, inspiration for drivers all over North America. And uh, so back in 1974, a few forward-thinking people started the American Driving Society to put a set of rules in place for our um, driving competitions. And flash forward, fast forward to now, we're in the 45th anniversary year of the American Driving Society. So congratulations, American Driving Society. And, and to celebrate that, they're having a whole bunch of anniversary items now for sale. They have a 45th anniversary. They have a special logo, and they're putting that special logo on sweatshirts, on vests, on polo shirts, on backpacks, on hats. They're putting it everywhere, and people can go buy it. You can go to the AmericanDrivingSociety.org and search for 45th anniversary merchandise. You know, if you already have ADS gear, you already know what a cool logo that is with the collar and um, the whips. But now it has this like flashy silver swoop so you can update some of your gear. I really like the vests. Those vests are really comfy. And the zip top toad is really good too for all your horsey stuff. So you can go right now to AmericanDrivingSociety.org for all of your 45th anniversary gear. Well, all horse people know Elaine from Thin Line with her fabulous saddle pads, boots, and equipment made with Thin Line foam to keep horses and people comfortable. But now she's developed a new line of flexible filly products to protect horses with minimal interference to their freedom, like the flexible filly slow feed grazing muzzle and her lightweight breathable splint boots. So welcome, Elaine, to our show. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's so great to have you on because... uh, you know, we're talking about laminitis today, and one of the things about laminitis is it, uh, there's so much long-term care for your horses. Uh, you know, they have relapses, or you need to get them through uh, a long period of time. And the one of the success, one of the ways we say your best option or your best hope of coming through a laminitic episode is if your horse is smart enough to lay down and rest a little bit, take the weight off his feet. And if you have the stamina to uh, put in the time to make him comfortable too. So you have some products that can help us with that when we're doing aftercare for laminitis, right? Absolutely. So as you know, my business is built on helping horses and riders to have a better life. Mm -hmm. So we have... um, Available the thin line hoof pads, which is just a piece of our thin line foam cut in the shape of a hoof. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, with $13. And this product has just done some amazing things for laminated horses because as we all know, um, if horses won't lie down or lie down enough, they just need to find a level of comfort that, um, that you know, we can't just keep throwing pharmaceuticals at them. Mm-hmm. Because as you were saying, it's a really extended process to get a horse back up and well from a laminate ex- experience. So, you know, the thin line pro- foam has such amazing um, weight distributing features that we created a hoof pad and started testing it through veterinarians. And we have horses who will just, you put the pad on, you can just duct tape it to the bottom of the foot. You can put it in a boot, but you just give them this pad and they just start walking and people are like, Whoa. And so then you've got a horse who is now mobile. And so you don't get the secondary health issues that you very often can experience from a laminitic experience. Yeah, we were talking about that a little bit earlier is that, you know, you have this problem with the circulation, you need to circulate the blood to the foot. And if the horses are just standing or they're laying down too much, they don't circulate the blood because they need to you step on their feet as a pumping action to pump the, the old blood back up to the heart and bring new oxygenated blood back down. But if they're so sore, you know, it's hard for them to, to have that blood flow. Exactly. So this is a really easy kind of thing to add to your, you know, all, all that you're going to do for your horse. Um, it's something very simple and we've seen some great results and, you know, just feel, feel so grateful that we have something that can help. And it's great that it's so easy to, to apply. So you can just, you know, if you're looking at a long-term progress of changing your boots or doing the duct tape thing, here's something right. that doesn't absorb any liquid and it's antimicrobial. Correct. So, that's, so you won't get any of the fungus or, you know, mm-hmm. different issues that you might have with the hoof. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And so now tell us about your new muzzle. This muzzle looks great. Yeah, we're really excited about the muzzle. You know, I think it's, it's one of the products that horse horse people just really hate to do to their horses to stick them in a muzzle. And, you know, we see so many horses who just get so cranky in them and they get hot and they're cumbersome and you feel like you've put them in some really archaic device. And so, you know, we spent about um, four to five years working on this design because our goals were that we wanted something that was going to be versatile, flexible, breathable, and comfortable for the horses as well as being effective. Mm-hmm. And um, so we did it. We came up with, and you know, it looks very simple, but you know, when you look at so often the simplest things are the ones that really work. Right. So it's a very special um, design, just like our, our foam is so special. The, the materials that we use in the muzzle is very special as well. So it's a, developed it's primarily plastic but it has a lot of other features it's a plastic that's very pliable so you can roll it you can bend it it's very soft um but what i i think what really caught me with this muzzle was that when you put it on horses are able to behave like horses Mm 
Mm -hmm. So if you take something like an automatic waterer, um, particularly those with the paddles, you know, horses become accustomed to touching the paddle with their nose and having the paddle, having the water deliver water. And when you put another muzzle on them, then all of a sudden you have this gap and then they kind of get their noses banged with the muzzle Mm -hmm. and they get a little cagey and, um, but with the flexible filling muzzle, it's so soft that they just basically put their nose against the paddle and they just drink normally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a big hurrah for that. Cause you've got to be able to have horses who are comfortable drinking. Comfortable yeah. And drinking. I would think that sometimes it, with the other muzzles, if they hit the paddle and the water comes in, they might feel like, you know, uh, I, I have trouble well, like wearing a mask underwater. Cause if the water leaks in, I start to like panic a little bit. Right. You see that a lot with, with horses. They just get a little startled and, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I was kind of looking at that and I was looking at the way that horses graze in the muzzles. And it was almost like I could just watch the frustration of our equine friends. Yeah. And I was like, okay, what can I do? You know, there's gotta be a, a better way. There's gotta be a way we do need to keep our horses from, eating too much grass so that, you know, they stay healthy and don't become obese or, yeah. you know, God forbid, have these laminitic episodes. So as I was working with different um, people to try to design this, I was just very clear about what I wanted. And what I wanted to see was horses who behave as if they're really in a natural environment, you know, as though they were grazing. And maybe there just wasn't as much grass out there. Mm-hmm. And that's what they look like when they're grazing in the flexible filling muzzles. They just look like they're not bothered. And sure, they would like to be able to grab mouthfuls of grass, but, you know. <laughs> right. But at least this way they can be out with their buddies. They're not trapped exactly. in the little dry lot feeling sad for themselves. Exactly. And they get to be horses. And does it, um, how does it, how do you fit it? Does it come in different sizes? It does. We presently have two sizes and we're working on a mini and a pony size, which we hope we'll have out um, midsummer. Mm-hmm. So it now comes in a horse and an oversize. Okay. Um, people are a little shocked sometimes because the way that it attaches to the halter is uh, via zip ties or cable ties. Mm-hmm. And we went round and round about it. And there were, you know, some other designs we had that were a little more complicated, but the zip ties work great. Yeah, zip ties. Um, I use that for everything at the barn. Right? It's so easy. (laughs) It's just so easy. And so you you get the muzzle and you fit it to your horse until it, you know, they can stand at rest and it doesn't lay on their nose. So you have Mm -hmm. to adjust it in the front or the back to make sure that um, it's resting comfortably. And then you just turn them out and halter with with their muzzle on. And um, speaking of the halter, you also have these uh, halter pads that you can use with it in case your halter is rubbing them, right? Oh, right. So in conjunction with the muzzle, we also designed, um, I guess most people see the um, the sheepskin halter mm-hmm. guard. Yeah. yeah. So they're they're designed in the same size format as those, except they are made of the thin line, which we all know, you know, doesn't uh, rub and of course has that antibacterial, antifungal in it. So that, well, you know, what else is great about it? It doesn't pick up, um, like cockleburs. Think about the sheepskin with those cockleburs on it. And if your horse has to wear this halter all day, 
Right. And no dirt. I mean, it just yeah. falls off or, you know, you can hose it off. It just yeah. eliminates all that hassle. Yeah, with, that's great. Uh, yeah, exactly. Now I see also it's, um, it has some like UV protection. So does that help with horses that get sunburnt? Yes. It was very important to put that UV protection in the plastics. Um, because, you know, horses, because the muzzle is clear. Mm -hmm. So that was another thing. It was easier to find materials that were, um, you know, black or a darker color, but we really wanted the owners to be able to see exactly what was going on with their horse, Mm -hmm. you know, to make sure that, you know, they didn't get a stick caught up in there or anything like that. So, so we created a clear muzzle um, just for, you know, the comfort and safety of, you know, so the owners could feel good about it. And so we added UV protection to that. So horses with white noses can stand in the sun and it's like you put on a little sunscreen every day and it's just, it's helpful all around. Yeah. We need that in Florida. I'll tell you down here in Florida, we just, it's so sunny that all of their little white noses get sunburned. I know. (laughs) Well, Lane, thanks so much. And where can everybody find you? Um, you can find us at thinlineglobal.com, and we are available in most independent tax stores, as well as some of the bigger dealers. So we hope you'll find us anywhere out and about on the show circuit or online. <laughs> All right. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Elaine. Right, thank you for your time. Thanks, Glenn. <laughs> Well, hi, Katie. Welcome back to the Driving Radio Show. We're so excited to hear our Tremont training tip for the month. What have you got for us this time? Hi, Wendy. Hi, Glenn. Um, I was thinking since the Carolina Classic is coming up, actually, in just a few days, I was thinking we could talk about getting ready for a pleasure show and getting your horse exposed to things so that you can go in with confidence. I think that's a great idea because I think a lot of us start out like at the pleasure show and there's no instructions on how to get ready for the pleasure show. You don't know what's going to show up there at the pleasure show. And at, especially at the Carolina classic, they always like to add in something that is like so incredibly difficult to do in a carriage. (laughs) that You need to tell us how we get started. Well, I have to admit, we are, we are out shopping at Hobby Lobby so that we can get things to decorate the outside course and the cones course. So it might be a little bit scary. Okay, so let's, um, for people that have never been to a pleasure show, tell them basically what what happens at a pleasure show. How is that different from combined driving? So this show, this show itself is two days long, mm-hmm. and you're going to enter either a senior division, a junior division, ponies, horses, uh, novice driver, and you'll do within that division three or four classes. So you have to do ring work with a judge mm-hmm. watching you walk three trots, halt, rein back. They're going to look at your carriage. They're going to look at your harness. And then you also get to do a cones course and an outside course. And then all those classes add together for a championship ribbon. So it's like a, it's like a, uh, open show and riding where you have all these different classes. Yes. It's kind of more like a hunter show. So Mm -hmm. they go in and they look at the carriage and the harness and how the horse moves and how it carries itself. And then you get to do essentially like 
the little jumping classes would be your cones and then a little yeah. bit of an outside course. So yeah. it's fun, but it is a little bit of sitting around and waiting and looking pretty. Staying and clean, Wendy. Yeah, I know. That's always hard for me. And then the ring classes, yeah. you're not in there by yourself. You're in there with everybody else in your class, right? Oh, I believe there are so many entries at this show that they're talking about splitting the pony class to small and large ponies. Oh, wow, because, yes, you, you could have a lot. And also, it, there's uh, ladies to drive, and it's whatever you're driving. So you could be in the ring with your pony and someone else's foreign hand. I think I was at some show... I think it was at Walnut Hill where it was ladies to drive and there was everything from one single mini to the coach. That's exactly right. So your horse has to be able to handle not just where that we discussed at the CDEs, the warm up ring, but now it's going to have to actually show in a ring with all these different things. And we put up flags and there are decorations around and tents. So the horses and the ponies have to get used to all this so they don't react to it. And it, the show can actually be a pleasure for the driver. Yeah, you don't want it to be. But, you know, I, when I first started driving, you know, I was driving my pony at my house and I wasn't in a big, you know, at a driving barn or anything. I mean, there was a driving barn down the road that I yes. could go to. But if I was just at home... You know, he didn't see all that much and everybody at the barn pretty much just drove single. So probably the first time my pony ever saw a pair was when I went to a pleasure show, which was the Carolina classic when we were down at the, at the racetrack, when we used to be down at the racetrack. Um, but you know, so that, then your best thing to do is to, to take time before your class or as you're getting ready to expose them to this stuff and trot around the warm up area and let them see things. Right. And the sounds of the different carriages, like I had a little modern carriage, but the sound of the coaches or the foreign hands can be really loud. Yeah. Especially with the metal wheels. Oh yeah. That's scary. When the metal wheels hit the pavement. Yes. Yeah. Um, so what would it be best if they, like if you have time, it'd be good if you go like schooling with your trainer or your friend and, or maybe all get together and go for a little drive in the arena before yes. you go for the first time. Exactly. And what Just about the same thing that we talked about with, with um, the combined driving is, you know, getting out with your friends, driving in the lead, driving behind, because essentially in a ring class, you're going to have people in front of you and behind you at all times. Right. Now, in pleasure driving, do you, can you take a uh, passenger or an assistant to help you if you have to stand at the lineup in the middle? Absolutely. You can always have a groom with you, and you can also have passengers. So this is for pleasure, so you can do whatever, whatever you want. Dress up your friend and put them next to you and then have a groom in the back. Yeah, and I think that's always helpful because, first of all, it's fun. Driving's fun when you have more people. But you never know how your horse is going to react because even the most broke horse, what if something goes on in the arena? Like, what if there's some disaster? I think it's always helpful to have an extra hand, you know, that can help you. And if you, and if you have that ability to have an extra person to help you 
uh, and not get penalized in the show. I'd much rather have somebody holding me. Oh, definitely. And then the thing is, if something does go wrong, if someone else has a problem, the big thing is to keep your people with you and just move out of the way. Don't mm-hmm. send all your help to help whatever's happening. Keep someone with your animal at all times. Oh, yeah. I've seen that happen before. So, like, say you're in the line. Yes. And someone's having trouble and they didn't bring somebody with them or their other person isn't able to give assistance. And then right. if your person leaves you, then now you're kind of at risk for something to happen too. And it could turn into a much bigger disaster. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, so tell me about this outside course. What's the outside course like? So, We're going to drive around, and in the past, they've had interesting things, as you said, like you have to pick up a glass of champagne or things like that. So we have different tasks that they have to do, and one of them is going to be collecting an item from an old lady with a shopping cart. Oh, my God. How scary is that for the horses? Glenn, you better not make this your first pleasure show. That's funny. When does your pony not like old ladies in shopping carts? I don't know. I was just thinking, who's the old lady? You're not going to say. Uh, I'm not saying. <laughs> Is she going to have an umbrella, too? <laughs> yes. I was thinking about that also. Um, Randy thought maybe a, ba- a baby carriage would be good. Oh, my God. With a screaming baby in there? With a screaming baby, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's Could you imagine? I remember one year we had to remember there was a rope hanging from the tree and you had to like drive in a circle while holding the rope. I mean, it was like Glenn, these outside and you had to ring a bell, (laughs) a mailbox. You had to open it and put the flag up on the mailbox. Oh yeah. I mean, they, these outside courses, they're really fun, but in Southern Pines, they take it to the extreme. I think. Uh, (laughs) yes, probably. (laughs) <laughs> I would, I would um, probably say yes. And while you mentioned Southern Pines, let's get a little bit of shameless self-promotion in here. Oh yeah! Congratulations goes to the new <laughs> national uh, reserve national champion for the pony pairs. Yes, I was so proud of the ponies. It was their only their second show, and they like, you know, were so much better than even at Southern Pines. Yeah, than at Live Oak, better than Live Oak. Yes, right? yes. At Live Oak, yes. And so um, you showed in the Advanced Pony Pair Division, and uh, what what was yes. the so show like? Katie was Whaley good? was the national champion. I was reserved mm-hmm. national champion. It was a super nice show. I will say it was a very hard marathon. Well, there's a lot of hills on that course, because it's a, an event course, too, that three-day event course. Right. And it had been raining, so it was a little bit boggy. And But, you know, people just had to be smart with their animals. Yeah. If they got tired, pull them up, you know, let them have a little bit more time in between hazards. The um, ground jury did take out one hazard for the advance, and they did lengthen the time, the overall time, to try to give the ponies more of a break. Because on top of that, they sent the ponies at the very end of the day, even after the foreign hands. Oh, so the course yeah. was very chopped up. Yeah. Did um and then how was the cones? Cones was good. So they ended up having Mark Johnson come in and do the courses. 
Mm-hmm. And um, he did a super job. Cones, people walked it and thought, oh, this isn't so bad. And then Mark had put a few angles in there. And I think in the intermediates, I know Maggie Sullivan went double clear. In the mm-hmm. advance, I think maybe uh, Donna Crookston, who's a typical double clear driver, went yeah. double clear. But there were not a lot of double clear rounds. The time was very hard to make. Well, Mark's like that. His courses, they look easy when you're walking it, but he has this devilish side, you know, and he's yes. driven everything. He's a, from he's like a good course pony. designer. Yeah. He's driven everything, you know, from pony to foreign hand. So he, he brings that into his course design, I think. So, yeah, he did a really good job because, uh, I went into cones 0.3, 0.3 ahead of Mary Phelps. Oh my God. So then. So then you're so close, it's definitely cones will make a difference. Yeah. Who, who can live with that pressure? So it's just that yeah. it worked out in my favor that time. I was really happy with the ponies. Yeah, I That's think it was great. a very nice show. That's great. I love these ponies. And tell us again what, what kind of ponies they are. So they're Welsh crosses. They're half Welsh. Um, one of them is, I'm not sure what he is, Welsh something, and the other is Welsh warm blood. So they're both 14, one, one's gray, one's liver chestnut, one's very girly, one's red. <laughs> red is a little <laughs> bit of a, 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 um, a drama queen, let's say. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Surprise, yes. surprise. Chestnut. Downy, yes, exactly. Pony. Well, Katie, thanks so much for joining us. And if anybody is down in Southern Pines, North Carolina, uh, when, when is it coming up? Is it this weekend? It is this weekend. It is Saturday and Sunday. Kentucky and Derby a, weekend. And it's a Big Sky Farm? Yes, Big Sky Farm. So go out and watch the pleasure show. You'll have a great time. Well, that's it for the driving show, everybody. Now, if you want to hear all the past episodes of the driving show, it's easy. Go to drivingradioshow.com and all the past episodes back to the beginning of time are there. And that's a lot, because we've been doing it for like eight or nine years. So go take a listen to all the past episodes. We have covered driving dogs, driving goats, driving chickens. Uh, oh, and horses, too. We do talk about driving horses. But <laughs> we have covered a lot of weird driving things over the years. <laughs> Those are the fun ones. I know, they really are. Wendy, thank you so much for putting all of this together today. Where can people find you? You can find me at drwendyying.com. DrWendyYing.com. And we'll be back tomorrow with Jamie will be here. And, of course, it is a day before Derby, the Kentucky Derby. So we'll be making our picks, talking about the horses, and taking a look, one last look at the Kentucky Derby. And then Monday we'll find out who won and who's on their way to maybe being the third in recent history Triple Crown winner. We'll see. There's a lot of fun names. I always pick my name, and there's a lot of fun names in this year's Derby. So I'm going to have a tough time picking my names. I don't I do it scientifically. You have at to all. pick by names. You have to pick by names. I have a better chance of winning than anybody else. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's it for everybody. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Keep the shiny side up. <laughs>